Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host for this lovely podcast, which makes its triumphant return after going idle in mid-April. Just like every fall when we return, a number of seemingly earth-shattering events have occurred since now and then, but with preseason football practice back in full swing, that means we are too. This is already shaping up to be a wild season in Michigan State football, and the takes on Twitter have somehow ramped up 1,000-fold than previous summers. But I guess that's what happens when you're coming off an 11-2 season, four-star recruits are committing left and right, and Coach Mel Tucker is, capital letters, building the brand. And that's just on the football side of things. There's plenty to say about basketball, too. But that's enough rambling for me right now, so let's get to our panel this week. Joining me this episode, as always, is Detroit Free Press, Michigan State Bee writer Chris Solari. Chris, you spent some time in Europe this summer. How was that, and how are you doing in general? It was good. I'm pretty sure you wrote that intro uh, in 2018 or 2019. I can't remember. (laughs) it, it, except for that last part, it all all pretty much held up pretty well. Uh, yeah, did did a lot of lot of trips uh, this summer. So uh, I uh, arrive at football season an even crankier mess than usual. Um, but to the benefit of that, though, I'm also so fatigued that I don't have the ability to whine about it. So <laughs> so that's a plus for this season. And like like Chris Graham also went to Europe this summer, and he is, in fact, still in Europe, so he will not be joining us uh, on this week's episode. But because he is gone, we had to go to the bullpen to bring in somebody else. But we found a quality arm, a quality person, who moonlights as Brian Kelly's LSU accent coach. Let's welcome a first-timer to the podcast, Lansing State Journal sports storyteller, Ryan Black. Ryan, how you doing? Hey, uh, Phil, thank you for that for that, uh, for that intro there. I, yes. I don't know if my, my, my classes with Brian Kelly are, are paying off, but... But uh, I wish I'd seen a little more money from that. I shouldn't be doing things <laughs> pro bono. But, uh, you know, th- things are going pretty well. Uh, I mean, I'm glad to, to be here. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if, if it's a good thing or bad thing that I'm, I'm replacing Graham. I mean, I, I feel like some people, you know, feel like he's so central to the podcast. You got other people joking that, hey, we need some fresh blood. So I'm just I'm ready to jump in and, and join uh, Chris on this and get into some stuff. I- I'm just glad Graham left the memo for you to get here 20 minutes late. Oh, that, yeah. That's actually earlier than he would would get here, so so oh. you're already a step ahead. That is the true essence of the Spartan Speak podcast. All right, well, let's just get right into it, guys, and let's start on the basketball side because that's kind of the latest information that uh, that's kind of come out, and that deals with Tom Izzo's contract extension, which uh, was revealed on Thursday afternoon. Uh, I'll list a couple of the uh, details here. He's got a new deal now worth uh, six, more than $6 million per season, which includes all of the incentives, and uh, part of that jump is where it comes in his base salary, which jumps from $430,000 to $2.43 million. Uh, Chris, uh, I don't think you were surprised that this was going to come at some point, but are you maybe, are you surprised at the number? And in this kind of puts him, I believe, the, is the second highest paid college basketball coach. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, to, no, to no one's surprise, Michigan State, you know, buying in on, on Tom Izzo for the remainder of his career. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, all it does is change the terms. I mean, the five-year rolling deal has been in place for quite a while now. Uh, I, I think that's that's been something that they've worked on here and there over the last couple of years. I feel like the last time they really redid it, they gave him the $4 million bonus but didn't touch his base salary. And this comes after he gets the retention bonus uh, in April. So, I, you know, it's not a surprise, you know, the, until I see the, the signed contract, which, you know, typically until a contract signed, we won't, we won't get the, the deal and it needs to be approved by the board in September 9th. But, um, 
I, I wouldn't be shocked if the bonuses go up. I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, you know, what I'm looking for is to see what the potential for a buyout is, or if there's anything in there that kind of gives an indicator when Izzo might think he might want to retire. But, you know, every time we say, when will Izzo retire? I feel like we've done that for almost the 10 years we've been doing this podcast every year. The reality comes in that this guy, when he talks about not just being a Spartan for life, he, he said it during that press conference in 2010 when he announced that. He, I'm, I'm a lifer here. And, I, I, you know, it, you, you see that and you just you think, I, can Tom Izzo even step away from the game? He's, he, you know, it, it, it's hard to imagine him losing the hunger. And, you know, particularly the last few years, I think have become more frustrating that he doesn't want to go out like this. He wants to go out, as you've seen with the, the recruiting realm, uh, the last couple of weeks and adding Xavier Booker and Colin Carr and, and Garrick Norman and Jeremy fears. I mean, it's, you know, he want he is still assembling big class to get that number two national title. I think that's ultimately his big goal. If he do, if he does that, I think he, he finally steps away as, as going out on top, but we know that, that over the course since, you know, what, 22 years, it's, it's not easy to, to get to that mountain. And, you know, but that's, that's ultimately, I think what the goal is. And from the contract standpoint, I, you know, until we see the, the totality of the deal, um, nothing at all surprises me about this. Well, I want to ask Chris something there in that answer that he said. So if, because you feel like if, if Izzo wins a title, he wins another national championship at some point during the life of the contract, that, that, that's when he would just, he would go ahead and say, okay, I'm done. I mean, I've climbed the mountain again and I've done it. Like you don't think he would, finish out the contract well the thing about it being a five-year rolling deal is that contract never expires yeah. so you know that at, at the end of the year it tax on another year at the back end of it so um you know that so it, it, it's a contract in, in sense in perpetuity until one or both parties decide it's time so you know I, but that i i think is his ultimate dream now even if I say that that's his ultimate dream, but I also could see a situation where he get if he'd get that title, he'd be like, well, now I need three. So that's just the drive that he's shown, uh, you know, for his 40 some, almost 40 years at MSU, starting as a graduate assistant, then as an assistant coach. And then, you know, since he took over the program in 95, um, I think especially if he looks and he has, you know, the way college football basketball recruiting is now, you're getting guys pretty much a year, year and a half out. Um, if he sees that, oh, I got this class, and then the next class might even be better, he might, and they somehow go and win it all. I think he might continue to to keep going, but you know, he's also closing in on sixty. I think he'll be sixty eight um, in January, saying that that's right around the time when Judge Heathcote retired, and and I do think that. You know, I think that Judd and Tom were maybe wired a little differently um, in that, you know, Judd had a lot of, um, I guess, side pursuits. Basketball's Tom Izzo's passion and drive, you know, start to finish, you know, wake up to sundown, you know, to, till he goes to sleep and gets a couple hours and then gets back at it. So, and he said that, you know, until he can't make those red eyes to Vegas for a summer tournament and, hustle back. I, he, I think he'll still be on it. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there's really a specific timetable in his mind um, or even if he does get that number two title, if, if he wouldn't just say, you know what, I think I got another three more years in me. You guys have kind of already touched upon this, but uh, let's move on to the recruiting side of things and look at Michigan State's class for 2023, which has uh, expanded uh, exponentially over the summer. And the latest commit this week was Cohen Carr, who is a 6'7", 200-pounder from a legacy early college in Greenfield, South Carolina. He, like the other three commits, Jeremy Fears, uh, Xavier Booker, and Garrett Norman, are all four-star recruits. And uh, with the four four-star recruits, that jumps up Michigan State to number three in the 24-7 recruiting rankings. And, uh, uh, Ryan, let me start with you here. Uh, what, have you, what do you think about Cohen's car game? Have you had a chance to look at his highlight reels or maybe his stats or whatever? And what, what kind of jumps out to you about him? Well, the thing that I've seen from the highlight reels and everything I've been able to, to, to read about him so far is that just that he, he's an incredibly 
athletic player. You know, maybe maybe the most athletic player in the country in the 2023 class, and he's a guy who I think you know really has a lot of tools to potentially be a, a high level defender going forward. And and I think that's uh, I mean certainly as much as we know about you know what Tom Izzo you know wants defensively, I think that he's going to be a guy that can come here can really really do some things with that. You know, I wish. I wish I'd seen Carr play in person. You know, I have seen Booker, and uh, I'm sure at some point you're going to ask me about that. But I'll uh, I'll shoot it over to to Chris for his thoughts on on Carr first. Yeah, I think Carr is also a, a kid who's really over the course of this summer kind of boosted his stock a little bit more uh, in the summer circuit. Um, kind of the same with Booker. I think Booker Booker is obviously a lot more of an astronomical rise, and that's why I'm I'm hesitant to say. You know, Izzo has X number of four stars because that's a five-star talent. And only ESPN's ranking is what's dragging it down from being a five-star because they haven't reset them yet. Um, you know, I, I know that those, those are going to be reset here probably within the next month. And then I think you might see this class jump a, a position or two. Uh, so that, I think, is is something to keep in mind. And, you know, I mean, you look at Norman. Norman's a guy on the wing that can do some things. And you know, they, he's probably a little more of a two, three. And, and I think you see these guys that he brings in right now. It, there's a lot of position versatility. And, you know, we talked about that ad nauseum over the years is it's really positionless basketball, but it's not, I mean, you got, you got guys that you really think that you can put in certain roles, particularly with, with their offense and their fast break that, that they can fill. And, you know, I think that, you know, Norman is a guy that could go two, three. I think Carr can go, you know, probably three, four, maybe I don't, I'd hesitate to say he'd be a two, but I think he'd probably be a three, four Booker would be a four, five. Um, and fears is, is, is that quintessential is kind of point guard. So there's a lot of pieces that you look at that you say, wow, this is, you know, a very Tom Izzo class, but the rankings might end up being his best in, in 28 years. Uh, that says something when you think about some of those, class of the assemble particularly that 16 class with winston and bridges and and jaron jackson or jackson was the next year but um josh langford and nick ward i mean that class was uh, a bona fide stud class um this one might even top that one yeah i think that i think this would top that one in terms of at least in terms of the high school rankings and whatnot uh, i think the garen norman uh recruitment is a little interesting to me and it's kind of interesting to me also that you know tom Izzo hasn't really shown a f- fear to go into texas it's kind of a random state in some respects to go into but you know that's where they got matt mcquay that's where julius marvel came from before he transferred out and and now norman is uh, so are, are there any is norman a, a mcquade type player in your guys's eyes or is that just am i just making that comparison because they're both from texas well it's funny though when i talked to him on the phone he said there's a there's another reason, you know, that they're both compared, and and he said he, right. he gets it because they're they're both white, but but he said, you know, he thinks there is, you know, if you take that one, there is a lot of similarities in their game, and that you know they're both top flight shooters, and you know McQuaid says he thinks he's maybe uh, I'm sorry, uh, Norman said he thinks he's a little bit better maybe putting the ball on on the floor, but I mean I, I think those comparisons at least you know when you look at the film and kind of watch them back to back and side by side, I think I think they're they're fair comparison. I know. Chris can speak a little better to that actually having covered uh, McQuaid, whereas I've, I've had to kind of rely more on highlights. Yeah, I, I think that I think Norman might have a little bit of a size advantage on him right now in terms of height and wingspan. Uh, I, I think McQuaid, to me, was kind of one of those quintessential uh, 3 and D guys. Um, I think towards the end, he showed the ability to take it to the rack a little bit more and the willingness to do so um, after you know, kind of a couple of years of being implored to do that. So I do think that Norman's kind of got, you know, at least from freshman, freshman Matt McQuaid to, to this, I think he can be a little bit of a different kind of wing than McQuaid. And, and you know, you, you, everyone talks about, you know, yeah, I mean, he can shoot, he's from Texas, he's got some things, but, but definitely this is a kid who's got a little bit, I think, more size than McQuaid does that, you know, I think will translate to the college game. Ryan, you mentioned this a few minutes ago. You have actually seen Xavier Booker play in person. I believe he traveled to Indianapolis. Is that right to go? Uh, well, I mean, Indianapolis was a few days later for the Big Ten football media oh. day stuff. This was actually up. Uh, this no, that's fine. It, it was. I mean, it was just in a very quick turnaround for me. I was actually 
uh, outside of M- Milwaukee uh, for the the final. Ironically enough, it was called the final chapter. Uh, and so, you know, he was up there, and ironically enough, so was so was Norman. I mean, I was certainly more focused on Booker at the time. But like, yeah, you know, I wrote in this story, they they played their final game against each other at that tournament. Uh, Booker's team won pretty easily. They'd come off a loss the previous night that set them into the consolation bracket instead of the the semifinals of that tournament. But man, you know, Booker, you know, he he's everything people you know say that he is. I mean, it's obvious you know he needs to put on weight. He's going to get pushed around at, at his current size. But you know, he, he's a guy that for his height, he can put the ball on the floor. He's very at ease doing it. I mean, there were I mean, gosh, numerous times watching him, you know, where he could he could grab the ball, you know, defensive rebound, and then just take it the other way leading the fast break. You know, there were times that he finished on his own and there were times that he, you know, he found open teammates. And so he's just a guy that, you know, he, he needs, I feel like the only thing I, I would say outside of the, the strength part that, 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 you know, he can work on a little bit is that, you know, he, he didn't show a tendency to want to really dominate as much as you would think for a player of his talent. But I mean, I think part of that too is that, you know, he's playing on a team that has a few other division one prospects as well. And I, I think he doesn't want to be viewed as being a ball hog or being, you know, a ball dominant where, you know, where the ball goes to this guy and he just goes one-on-one. So, I mean, that's, but I mean, these are very minor criticisms, you know, and, and to me, you never want to be overly critical, you know, of any kid who's still in high school. But, but like he's, you can certainly see why he's, he's in the running to be the number one prospect in the 2023 class. I think that sounds like a ring endorsement. And uh, obviously yeah. with a, with a recruit that's ranked that high, you know, Michigan state fans are, you know, very, very pleased about how things have, have gone this summer with the Michigan State uh, basketball team. And, and Tom, Izzo, Tom Izzo lives forever is, is the takeaway. You can't, you can't bring him down despite what maybe some Michigan fans will tell you on, on the Twitter machine. Um, I think you can just tell him on Twitter too much based on the last few things I've seen. Hey, some Michigan State fans the last few years too. <laughs> yeah, very true. All right, well, let's move on to football here, guys. Uh, so for this uh, segment, I guess I'm going to just tentatively call it preseason practice whispers. So you guys have had, both of you have had the opportunity to, you know, go out a couple times, at least for a few minutes of practice on, on a couple different days and been to multiple press conferences here. So I would like to think you guys maybe have some, some things you've seen or heard or things that are standing out to you. So we are going to share those at the moment with, uh, with three observations apiece. And Chris, as the Michigan State beat writer, I'm going to have you go first. What does, uh, what is something that's jumped out to you so far in the preseason? Well, I think uh, to start, I think that, Listening to Scotty Hazleton discuss the defensive end situation on on Thursday, it looks like right now, um, if they were to play a game tomorrow, it would probably be Jeff Petrosky and Chris Bogle, to no one's surprise. I mean, Petrosky's a guy that, to me, has got a Kenny Willekes-type high motor and is still rounding into form. Um, You know, I don't know if he has necessarily the same freakish athleticism that Willekes did, but... um, you know, I think that he's shown the ability last year at times to be able to, to be a disruptor in the backfield. And they obviously brought in Bogle from Florida uh, with his pedigree to do that as well. But the two names that I think are going to really maybe pop, uh, Brandon Wright is a guy that I thought the last two games of the year really showed some speed off the edge. Yep. And Hazleton pretty much confirmed that he's having a great camp and showing a lot more of that this year. I mean, he was literally less than a year into playing on that side of the ball after he was recruited and brought in as a running back. And I I thought that, you know, what I saw in the Peach Bowl and against Penn State in the regular season finale, he showed some real quick twitch uh, and the ability to to kind of fight off those those bigger edge guys uh, on the offensive line. Um, so I, I think that he's going to play a pretty prominent role. And then the other thing, which I thought was pretty interesting in, in what they're planning to do, I think that Jacoby Winman kind of pointed to some things, and he said that he's been lining up at D-end as well. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see what's going on with that, that linebacker spot because I think there's going to be the ability with that group to, to put a Winman down, uh, you know, a hand in the ground and almost give a fourth lineman, um, particularly if you've got a guy like Darius Snow moving back there uh, and being more of a coverage guy. Um, And then conversely, you can use Snow in a nickel situation and bring him down 
Um, at times, even though he's basically a linebacker now, I guess it would be moving him back to nickel, um, to get better pass, get, you know, a little bit more of a thump. Um, cause I know that they're, you know, one of the things that Hazleton pointed out is the amount of power teams are going to play this year and, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin and, uh, you know, I, 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 there were a couple other, I'm sure Washington probably would, well, I think Washington with, with, uh, their new staff is probably going to air it out. I think Michael Penix is there too. So they got some familiarity. Man, that is, that is a tough, that, that is a tough act to follow, Chris. That was such an incredibly <laughs> detailed observation. I mean, the first thing I was going to say is I think, you know, looking at, at the wide receivers, you know, it seems like you know, everyone obviously knows about Jaden Reed. That there's an expectation that Trey Mosley is going to keep kind of, you know, moving from that maybe third guy to being the second guy this upcoming season. But, you know, when you hear about the, the quote-unquote the other receivers, the, the one guy I guess I've been impressed with, I've consistently heard his name, you know, throughout interviews just since, you know, since uh, the Big Ten football media days is, is, you know, the early enrollee, you know, during Bernard. And, and, you know, that's something that, you know, I think for him that would be a huge thing if he's able to actually truly work in this rotation. He's, there, he's from Washington. He would, you know, be able to go there and play in, in, in game three at the first road game of the season. Because I just think, you know, receiver, I don't think it's as easy a position to maybe sometimes come in and contribute immediately. I think you'll – I've always heard that, uh, and Chris, you probably have too, and Phil, that, like, the farther you are away from the ball, the, the harder it is to maybe to do things immediately, you know, uh, yeah, when you kind I, of enroll. I'd hesitate to say it. I think the offensive line is probably the hardest spot from physical standpoint. Oh, from the physical standpoint, anything. for sure. For sure. But I think, I think um, there's also a lot of mental things, particularly – like, I, I don't think you often see a guy come in, you know, Allen brothers aside, you don't see a lot of first-year centers come in and be impact guys. You know, need to say, though, I just, I just have been impressed that he, his name has consistently kind of come up. And, and I know is people are like, well, how are they going to replace Jalen Naylor and some of the other, you know, explosiveness they lost from last season's offense. You know, hearing that this early enrollee has already been so impressive to me, it was something that stood out. All right, Ryan's calling for a true freshman wide receiver to make an immediate impact this year. Chris, what is your second uh, whisper? You know, I think the second whisper would be about the tight ends being a, a deeper position. Um, maybe a little recency bias since we talked to some of them and talked to Ted Gilmore, but you know Peyton Thorne's been talking about this, you know, all all summer. Um, you know, Malik Carr and Tyler Hunt are both back, but I, I think to me, the guy who's going to be the the maybe the the sneakiest addition to this team is Daniel Barker, because I mean, this is a guy who knows how to play in the big 10, first of all. So there's, there's an element of scouting reports that, you know, he, he understands the, the opponents that he's going to face, um, which I think when you, when you add him and Carr having both been transfers from within the conference, I think that gives you a, a lot more insight on what, can work against opposing defenses from a, a blocking standpoint on the edge, uh, not just with the tight ends, but with the guys next to them, uh, the tackles, but also the understanding of which which matchups give them the ability to float out. Because um, I think Barker is probably more of a traditional tight end than than Carr, where Carr has a little more of those Jimmy Graham kind of float out tendencies. And, you know, I mean, he was a receiver at Purdue, but I mean, his body type always lended him to become tight end. And Barker, I think, you know, if he picks up the blocking that they want, um, you know, he's shown the ability to make plays down the field and, you know, in the red zone. And, you know, you talk about replacing Naylor, it might not be necessarily having to replace Naylor's numbers uh, on the edge with another receiver when you've got Reed and Mosley and, and Coleman. It, it, to me, it's it's getting the not just the numbers that, that uh, Connor Hayward gave, but beyond that at, at the tight end spot, because that's something that's been a, a key talking point for Jay Johnson since he got there. But they haven't really had this kind of cadre of weapons at that position in that time. I'm kind of glad you mentioned the tight ends here, uh, only because uh, boy, Malik Carr is getting, uh, you know, has got a ton of hype in the offseason here. And for what has been at least amounted to last year, maybe we didn't see all that much from him, although I understand how potential works, but uh, I don't know if I'm ready to anoint him necessarily as, as the next great, you know, Michigan state tight end. But I mean, if he comes out and shows out, then maybe I'll have some egg uh, on my face with that, with that statement. Well, well, I know he wants to make this his third year and then enter the draft. But the reality is 
you did transfer, you did change positions, you are learning and growing physically to become more of a blocker because if you can't block at the next level, you're not going to see the field or, or be, be on a roster spot as even a third tight end. So that's something that, you know, he's got to show the ability to, to kind of get out there and, and mix it up a little bit. Um, you know, and, and Hey, maybe, maybe being around Tom Izzo last, last winter helped that a little bit. Um, but I do think that, you know, that's why I think Barker is such a big addition because let's well, say Tyler Hunt, you know, is as good of an athlete as he is. Um, you know, he's limited because he's not a traditional tight end size. Um, he's probably a little closer in size to, to what Connor Hayward presented. And Barker and Carr, I think, have that prototypical next level height to them and wingspan and ability to go over guys. So, and, and let's face it, there's a video that the, the team put out of Carr making a one-handed grab on the sideline. Uh, I think it was over Angelo Gross the other day. And that's a freakishly athletic kind of play, the kind of play that you'd expect a basketball player to make. So, um, you know, is, is the hype warranted? Yes. It, I guess, you know, we'll have to see, um, you know, particularly when he didn't go through the entirety of spring ball because he was playing basketball. Um, and that's a reality check. I mean, it, you know, he didn't play in the uh, spring final spring practice. And, you know, that's, that to me, I think is, you know, it, it a year ago, I think you saw the back half of the season, he really started to come on because he learned the position. And I think that to me, can, that development continues through the first half of this season. And maybe it's a back end of the season where he really kind of emerges with the full picture of, of what he can present. Yeah, I, I saw him at Moneyball this summer. He wasn't playing; he was just uh, in attendance. And he is a—he uh, is a beefy boy. He is—he has definitely put on the mash required to be a blocking tight end. Uh, Ryan, uh, what is your uh, second preseason practice whisper? Well, I mean, the thing I finally got to you know ask Scotty Hazelton his availability was that you know everyone knows about just the, the height of Amir Steed, you know, the transfer DB from from Georgia. But it was like, what, what is there to this guy other than that he's just tall? And you know, Hazelton said, you know, it, it, yes, that's what it is. that is what everyone sees, right, that he's tall and he's lengthy, he's got long arms. But he said the thing that, uh, that you know, you don't really know until you're going to be able to see him more is that he's just such a smart, smart football player. You know, Hazelton mentioned that, you know, because of that length, because of that size, you know, he's the type of player who quarterbacks are going to, you know, they're going to look over to kind of like do double takes, like, you know, is he – is he in man coverage? Is he impressed? Is he going to, you know, go into zone? And just like what that kind of, of lengthy DB, what that kind of can do for a defense and how it can make it more versatile. And like, you know, certainly as much, you know, as, as we've heard about him, I don't know about you, Chris, he's one of the people I'm most interested to finally see in a real game because, you know, we can't count the whatever we called the spring thing because it wasn't even a game. It was a, you know, just a, a regular practice that people got to attend. He's definitely got, along with Ronald Williams, the type of wingspan, back pedal speed, and length, um, and you know vertically, to cover those big receivers that you need to. I mean, that's ultimately, you know, I, I think those two guys together will be interesting to watch. Um, not just, I, I, I think, I think Williams, like kind of we talked about with Carr, Williams as the second half of the season went along, really started to show improvement and progress, even though the, the entirety of the past defense might not have been, uh, how should we say it, nicely. Um, not so good. Um, but I, I think those two give Tucker the kind of cornerback that he ultimately wants. You know, if Charles Brantley can stay healthy, I think he showed the ability to make plays. And I like Marquis Lowry fits in that same mold as Speed and Williams in terms of long corners who can, you know, elevate to, to high point the balls in, in those 50-50 situations and, and play physically in coverage. So I think they're deeper at cornerback, uh, which allows speed, you know, not necessarily to feel the complete burden like maybe Williams did last year when he transferred from Alabama because there is a weight of expectations that comes when you arrive at a new program having just won a national championship. I mean, yeah, it's funny because um, – I forget who we were talking about. I, I think it was um, maybe uh, Darius Snow, uh, but someone asked, you know, could you play, you know, how, how would you fit? And something along the lines of, 
well, I couldn't go out there and make, I couldn't go out there by myself and win a football game with, you know, you need 10 other guys around you. So, um, you know, you also need the guys behind you to just keep fresh and keep rested. So I think it was, uh, it was Jaden Reed who said that. Yes, I think you're, uh, that, that's right. It yeah. was Jaden Reed. All right, Chris, what's what do you got next on your list? The next thing I think is, and this is more from an observation standpoint than anything, is I'm really curious to watch the special teams, and I'm not talking about the situation with kickers. I mean, obviously, you know, you bring in Jack Stone, and and Tucker said there's a you know battle with him and the walk on Stephen Rusnak, who had some moments last year um, with with Matt Coughlin's injury. I'm looking at more along the lines of the coverage units and the return units, who's going to be out there. Um, Cause that's something that, you know, it, it goes quietly and it, it's kind of under the radar in a lot of ways. One of the, one of the sneaky things that helped them last year battle the problem, you know, combat the problems from 2020 and really even during D'Antonio's final years is the special teams unit started using more starters um, and started using trying to get more athletic. Um, you know, a guy like Kendall Brooks comes in and plays on a lot of units. Ben Van Summeren played on a lot of units. Brandon Wright played on a lot of units. But then you also saw other starters out there. I'm curious to see how the depth situation affects that. Are, are, are some of the younger guys, you know, because that's usually where a lot of true freshmen will come on right away and make an impact. Someone like a Caleb Coley, for instance, could could come out and and kind of be a star in in you know punt and kickoff coverage. Um, he's got speed, and I think he can work his way eventually into the 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 mix at cornerback. And guys like Dylan Tatum, and you know the the the, the younger guys that were the the high end recruits from the last class. I mean, you know, I, I think that's going to be something to watch uh, because you know even Amon Naoteote, you know whatever happened. You know, he's going to be in that mix at linebacker, and it's a lot deeper than it was a year ago for playing time because they brought in uh, Roulet and Windman, um, and you got Cal Halliday back after shining, and you moved Darius Snow in there. So now Teote is going to have to show on special teams as well to get those snaps at linebacker. So I think – and if you're able to make the gains in field position in coverage um, – I think that helps your defense so significantly um, because you know, and let's face it, that's, that's something that when they were early in the season, bending and not breaking with Behringer punting the ball as well as he did and the coverage units stopping kickoffs, uh, those passing yards, you might've saw, you know, 65 yard passing drives that ended in the goal line, but, you know, if they if they'd started closer to midfield, those would be touchdowns. You know, you mentioned uh, you know the how are the starters playing on special teams? You know, Jade Reed obviously is the punt returner. Uh, will we see that again this year? I guess would be yes on that, but uh, I guess you never know. Maybe he's just too valuable to 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 put out as a punt returner. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's his next level. I mean, that that's going to be his next level destination is a punt returner first and then yeah. probably a, a receiver second so I, I i and he is he is an electric and dynamic force you know unless someone outshines him which can always happen i mean when you bring in young guys um i think that's his job as long as he wants it all right ryan your final practice season whisper yeah well it's actually on somebody who who chris just touched on briefly in that answer but it, it, it's about darius snow you know and just how at ease, he seems about this move, you know, to linebacker. Because obviously, you know, he he played all those games last season at at nickelback, started at safety in the Peach Bowl. But you know, something that I recall, you know, at, after that last spring practice, and then he's kind of reiterated. It seems like every interview since then is, you know, he's just a football player. You know, he he doesn't want to be kind of pigeonholed at one spot or this or this or that. And I and I guess you know, guys, I think there's sometimes right when you when you have the kind of success that he had last season, right? I have to think that, you know, for some other guys, it would be difficult to want to, to move spots. But the fact that he just kind of shrugs and says, well, you know, just put me wherever, I think that's, that speaks a lot to his maturity. And I don't think there's any question, even given, you know, what Chris mentioned about who they, who they were bringing back and who they brought in, 
at the linebacker spot that Snow's going to be a key part of that unit this fall. I'm going to give you my hot take on that. My oh. hot take on that is there is no more important player in that defense this season than Darius Snow because I believe that Darius Snow can help correct the problems with depth and coverage uh, at the linebacker spot that both Halliday and, and Crouch struggled with last season. He's got the ability to close in space. He, he can wrap up. Uh, he can, he's got the speed to pursue. And that's something that, that they didn't have last year. And he also understands the depth. You know, do I need to go under uh, and worry about the tight end routes and the running backs, or do I need to drop back a little more because they might try and hit, you know, a deep post over the middle? I think, I think that his transition from from nickelback into the linebacker spot should be seamless. And I, I, I to me, I project him to be the cog to taking that 130th ranked pass defense and improving it into, you know the 60s. Uh, I was just getting ready to say that the move was a little super surprising to me because, you know, obviously they play the base at least at the moment is a 4-2-5 and uh they need more uh, defensive backs than linebackers and they already had plenty of linebackers, so listen, yeah. I think if Chester Kimbrough's healthy, you know, he he probably profiles a lot more as a nickelback than he did as a cornerback and I think yeah. with Lowry you've got some options there. It, it uh, you saw that early in uh, Angelo Gross's career that that's a place where a uh, freshman like Caleb Coley could go in and you've got veteran guys around you to kind of direct traffic and you just go out and make plays. Um, I, I think you need to be a little more cerebral with all those things that I mentioned in terms of what's in front of you, what's behind you at the linebacker spot. Snow's a cerebral guy. I mean, he comes from that pedigree with his dad, Eric, as a point guard and knowing how to direct traffic and his uncle Percy is being a, a ferocious linebacker and snow stop me if you've heard this in the last 35 years snow loves to hit and he, he hits hard i mean honestly that's that's why i think that that transition should be pretty seamless all right well i, I do want to spend a couple minutes talking about uh michigan state football summer recruiting because we did not get any listener questions about it but I uh, would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the guys who have committed over the summer. And most of these guys have been, have been four-star guys. Uh, we'll start off with uh, By Job, who is a, who is an edge rusher. Uh, Stanton Ramil from Alabama, who is an offensive tackle. Jordan Hall from IMG Academy, who is a linebacker. Uh, interior offensive lineman Cole Dellinger from Clarkston. Demetrius Bell, an athlete from Murfreesboro's ten- Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Four-star interior offensive lineman Clay Wedden from Tampa, Florida. Uh, four-star cornerback Chance Rucker from Denton, Texas. And that's it for the summer. Chris, out of all those guys, is there anything that really – is there one that really kind of catches your eye? I mean, they're all four-stars, so they're all really good players. Uh, but is there one that really catches your eye in terms of importance? I think by Job because Job's an elite edge rusher whose ceiling has, has barely been – even identified yet, let alone reached. Um, you know, he's, he's a kid who, who didn't play much football, um, you know, came in with a host family in Oklahoma and really has kind of, as a basketball player, uh, was a prospect, but really turned to the next level when, when he focused his attention on football. And I think, you know, you need those kind of basketball guys on grass. I think that Chase Carter comes to mind in the last class of the guy that, had a, a lot of basketball interest that, as, that moved the defensive end. Um, and that's been a position of need. I mean, finding – Mel Tucker talked about this uh, the other day. You know, when it comes to the portal, um, finding those, in, you know, edge rushers or defensive interior defensive linemen and the offensive linemen is the biggest and most challenging thing. You need to identify and get those in the high school ranks if, you're gonna, if you want to get elite players. So I think when you look at this class, by Job really stands out with that. I think that Andrew DePape stands out with that. And I think you look at what they did beefing up with the offensive lineman with Ramil and, and Dellinger, and they've, they've got Jonathan Slack, and I know they've been in on a number of other high-end offensive tackles. I mean, the, those offensive tackles and, and edge rushers aren't coming through the portal. Those guys are either landing at a school for three or three years and, and go into the NFL uh, when they're elite level like that, um, or you, you aren't going to find them another way. So I, I think that's what stands out to me about this class. Ryan, any observations? 
Well, I mean, well, I was actually going to bring up the, thing, the same thing about by Joe because you know after after the interviews wrapped up on Thursday, you know, I was outside talking with Chris and another beat writer, and and I, I remember that other person. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the other person because uh, I'm not sure if that seems like we're, uh, you know, you can mock free publicity. You can mock them. <laughs> well, if they're not on the podcast, you can mock them, and if they are on the podcast, you can mock them doubly. Okay, well, it was it was it was Stephen Brooks from Twenty Four Seven Five, and he was just saying to me, he's like, you know, Ryan, you know, when I first when when they first hired Scotty Hazel as defensive coordinator, I watched as much Kansas State tape as I could because you know that was where he was previously for one season, and he was like, you know, every single time I watched anything about Kansas State's defense, it was White Hubert, White Hubert, White Hubert, who was an All Big Twelve defense then, and he was like, you know, and that's what hit me. He's like, is it, man, that's like maybe the one thing that that Michigan State hasn't been able to find yet necessarily the guy that's like that you just could count on to get to the quarterback just about every single play. And even when he didn't get to the quarterback, he's still affecting the play enough, it, you know, that, you know, again, it doesn't make you up on the stat sheet, but if you watch the game, you're like, man, you know, look, look at this tear off the edge. And so that's why exactly like Chris said, I think if you can find these guys from high school, because like I said, they very, very, very rarely come in the portal, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that take a good defense to great is if you have that, that kind of edge rusher that, you know, the other team has to constantly worry about every single play. I mean, look at Mark D'Antonio's teams. I mean, he might not have had the, the high-end edge rushers, but they identified developing mm-hmm. talent and, you know, guys like Marcus Rush and Shalik Calhoun and, you know, Kenny Wilkes, who we mentioned earlier. I mean, those kind of guys really helped change the, the trajectory of Michigan State football. Um, you know, the defensive line in particular, I mean, the other guys, you know, with Malik McDowell and Joel Heath, um, you know, a lot of those, those D'Antonio teams were built on having those successful linemen on the defensive side that would be disruptors, not just, you know, disruptors at the point of the attack, but also can get home on the quarterback uh, to allow you to do some different things with your linebackers. So you're not always just bringing an extra linebacker or two extra linebackers on blitzes. You can drop them into coverage. And, you know, that, that you know, that's, I think ultimately, you know, particularly when you only have two linebackers in a four, two, five, you know, you need those edge guys to, to really make that work. Good discussion about Michigan state football there guys. And with that, let's move on to listener questions. We are going to start with one from the real upper deck jerk guy. He asked, in honor of Graham Couch, can you come up with three hot takes about Michigan State basketball or football for this coming year? Chris, I'm going to start with you. Did you already use one of your three with the uh, Darius Snow one? I used one of my three knowing that we were going to have this question coming up. Um, I, I think that my second hot take will be that it'll be Jeremy Bernard, not Keon Coleman, who ends up as the number three receiver. Um, and I, I might even, you know, as the season progresses and, and he and uh, Peyton Thorne build some chemistry, you know, all, all, I think all three of those guys with, with J, or both of those guys with Jaden Reed and uh, also Trey Mosley will become a little bit interchangeable. So Reed's numbers and Mosley's numbers could stay stagnant or go down a little bit. And, and obviously Reed has the ultimate connection with, Peyton Thorne, um, you know, 50, 50 some minutes into this call yes. and podcast, you know, mentioned that, but, uh, but I do think that I'd say that, that Bernard's got the elite talent to, to take that next step. Now that said, Ken Coleman also has that elite athleticism that he could be, you know, he might be behind Bernard. Um, but I think that Coleman, if you, you run him, could be the next Jalen Naylor and just let him fly down the field. Ryan, what's your first hot take? You know, my first one's going to be, and again, this is a, it maybe sounds like one, but I think with all the depth they've got in the running back room and, and you know, what they kind of constantly said about, you know, we're not expecting one guy to replace Ken Walker. I don't think any, I don't think anybody on Michigan State roster ends up with a thousand yards rushing. All right. I like it. I think just because of how much they're going to divvy up the carries that, I mean, I'm not saying there's going to be someone who gets 800, 900, but I just think there's going to be enough variety Elsewhere, as, as, as all, along with the fact that I think they're going to pass the ball a little bit more than last year, uh, that, that that would be. I mean, I, maybe that's not a super hot take, but but I think you know the leading rusher of Michigan State won't won't, won't get to the thousand yard mark. You mentioned that one. You mentioned that. I mean, if they were fifty five forty five run pass balance last mm-hmm. year, 
I think I could flip the 55-45 yep. pass yep. to run this year. Yeah, I would I would say since Chris already gave one his first one earlier in the podcast, go ahead and give your second one right now, Ryan. Okay, well, here's actually I'm going to flip back to basketball on this one. This one might be, like the, I'm sure people are going to say it's crazy. I think, because I think he's the most naturally talented guy personally on the basketball team that I've seen. I think, and I'm, I'm, and I'm playing up kind of the uh, the suspense here. Yes, but, I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, hey, it's my first time, right? I got to kind of, Chris has kind of done so much heavy lifting right now in terms of talking. I got to, you know, I got to try to do a little bit of it. <laughs> I was serious. I was serious. But, I love I love the buildup. But I, I think I think Malik Hall is going to finally put it all together and become a great player on a consistent basis. I know he's shown a lot of flashes, but I think I think next season he's really going to finally put it all together and, and be. You know, he's certainly not going to be an All Big Ten first team, but I think he at least kind of he could check in on one of the, the maybe the second or third team kind of thing come, come the end of the season. Yeah, a lot, a lot of what Michigan State basketball does this season is going to hinge on what Malik Carr does and uh, doesn't Hall. do. Oh, sorry. Yes, Malik Hall. What I what I say. You said car. <laughs> Too many Malik's, right? Too many Malik. My my Dude. second and a half hot take is that Malik Carr will not be playing basketball this winter. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Sorry for the screw up there, guys. Uh all right, Chris. My second and two third hot take is that Keon Coleman will. I think I think I, I think I buy both of those, Chris. I think I think I think you're onto something there. I think my third hot take though, and I'll I'll kinda go with more of the basketball side as well is that we're going to finally answer that age old question that that's been going on for, you know, a decade or more now. Um, you know, how do money ball stats translate to mm. college basketball? And I think Pierre Brooks who averaged uh, 40.3 points per game in money ball <laughs> right. will average double digits this year. Uh, potentially 12 points a game. I love it. And be a little more of an inside-outside threat uh, maybe than Max Christie was. And I think that, you know, Max Christie struggled to shoot last year, and he struggled to finish, in you know, it, it, off the bounce. There were some points where he showed athleticism to get up and sky, um, and and put down some dunks that that people remember, but I think Pierre Brooks might end up this season being a more complete a, a player on that wing, and and probably have better numbers than Christie did last year, and might have had this year. Yeah, I, I think I can jump on that train a little bit, Chris. You know, I, I got a chance to talk to Pierre. I wrote a story about him dur- during Moneyball this summer, and you know, one of the things he talked about was, uh, you know, this is a big year for him. This is a very important year in terms of. You know, going from a freshman to a sophomore, uh, you know, this is where he's got to show a lot of improvement. And, you know, what he does even in both, you know, summer practices and at Moneyball is important to him to, you know, show what he can do. And I, I think he definitely showed people who were in attendance at Moneyball that he can potentially do some things here, especially, like you said, both shooting threes and getting into the lane. And the ability, I think he's got the ability and size because he shed about 20 pounds, but he was so thick when he came in last year. I mean, mm-hmm. muscular, but maybe a little too over big he dropped 20 pounds and I think he looks quicker and I think that helps him get off the floor to become more of a, a dynamic rebounder and push the ball in transition kind of guy as well how many how many points per game was that you said 40.3 so the sliding scale is 40.3 40 points at money ball average equals 12 points a game in college Okay, and you know that would be an eleven-point jump over what he averaged last season. He averaged one point a game, so I mean that that would be there, a pretty... there's going to be a there's there's going to be a little more defense played at the Division One college level than <laughs> was at Hull High School this summer, just a little. Well, no, that that, yeah. that that's that. I mean, that's for certain. But uh, I uh, that that's, that's not a hot take. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, no, no. Okay. Yeah. I was because I don't think that's hot take three point one a. I guess is, is, is kind of your. I I I, admit, I like that. You added all those addendums. I mean, to me, I, I think about them like being like the little footnotes. I like how you added like you know two and one third, two and two thirds, what have you. <laughs> well, I would say, I would say that you know my, my last uh, my last hot take would be that you know I, uh, I I actually have to agree with Chris on this. I think it, not not specifically about Brooks. But that for as many people as, as thought that the Max Christie departure was going to hurt this team, you know, the guard spot on the wing, I think 
I think the guys they've got coming back, and, and you know, we'll see what Trey Holloman can do as well as a freshman. But I, I think they're going to end up being just fine without him. I mean, I, I, at one point I, I didn't think I'd say that, but I think I really just think based off what they're bringing back and the gains those guys are going to make, uh, I am, and I mean, Chris, it's funny to say that I'm, I'm fascinated to see exactly what you said about the whole, the money ball stat that we saw in some of the big performances from certain guys. How do they look, you know, come, come this upcoming season, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly thought Max Christie was incredibly talented, but you know, I guess it uh, we'll never know kind of what maybe jump he could have made if, he, if he'd come back this next season. Yeah. Jay yeah. Dickens uh, falls into that category you yep. said as well. Oh. Yep. Absolutely. I think Jay Nakins has a big year as well, but I, I think that's maybe a little more expected than Brooks taking that next step to where he can be a double-digit guy a game. All right. Philip Golas asks, who has the better upcoming season, basketball or football? Chris? Well, it's hard, hard to say that without looking at the, a basketball schedule just yet. Um you know, it, and success obviously is relative. I mean, what is, yeah. you know, what is what's, what's success? I mean, you know, you're talking about a team that's coming off a seemingly improbable 11 and two season with all the changeovers they had in personnel, the past defense that was as suspect as it was. Um, and that's probably, again, probably being generous for how bad they were uh, defending the past. But, um, you know, so, you know, what's success? I mean, is is eight and three with this team success? I mean, you know, it's a step back winning wise, but depending on the development, you know, maybe eight and three is a more successful season for football. Um, but, you know, I, I also think that, you know, for basketball, what's the barometer? I mean, the barometer is making the NCAA tournament, but now, you know, it's not being a first weekend and out. I mean, it, it's been since that 2019 final four since they they made a deep run in the tournament and again there, there wasn't one in 2020 or there wasn't one in t- 2020 and then there was a weird one in 2021 so you know take that with somewhat of a grain of salt but um you know before that it was 2015 and you know 16 they didn't make it out of the first weekend 17 and 18 they didn't so you know that that i think you know, it, it, just getting there right now, I don't think is a success. But you look at the 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 players lost, you know, and and the question marks the team maybe has a little bit. You know, you think, well, you know, is twenty wins an accurate benchmark for this team? Is twenty two wins? You know, I mean, it's twenty five wins. You know, uh, so to answer without answering that question, um, I, I think. There's a lot of sliding scales that can come into play with it, but I do think that I think just because of the buzz and the energy that that football will have a more successful season from a perception standpoint, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense to me. Because I, I don't think this is a national championship team for Izzo. I mean, it can make a deep run. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they're maybe missing a piece, and depth with injuries is going to be a, a potential factor. I mean, let's let's face it. With eleven scholarship guys, that's that could be a, a big factor if if you have the the volume of injuries that you've had in previous years stack up on you. So, um, so I do think that 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 kind of to me says football's probably lean there, and and fans are going to be frustrated until Izzo wins another national title. Gotcha. All right. So this next question. I believe we answered in our last podcast back in April, and we also gave an answer to it earlier in this podcast, but I'm going to ask it again, just in case one of you has another name that you want to throw out there. Uh, Wicko Toboggan asks, which trash, excuse me, which freshman, true or redshirt, will make the biggest impact this year? Chris, I believe in April you said Jack Stone, the freshman kicker, and Ryan, you mentioned Jeremy Bernard uh, earlier in this podcast. You guys have a, a third person or that you want to kind of throw in there? I've heard good things about Jaden Mangum, but I don't think he's going to necessarily have a major impact. I think he's going to get there and play some at safety, but I don't. I don't. He's not going to be a starter, you know. Uh, and same thing with like Baby on Prim. I mean, he's going to get carries and be a part of the running game, but I, I don't necessarily think that you know he, he's going to be you know a starter either. So I think it's two. I think you're going to talk about Caleb Coley at cornerback. And I think you're going to talk about uh, by the end of the season. I think, remember remember last year, the guy that we were totally enamored with 
who took a red shirt, who we thought might be the best player in that class in the 2022 class or 2021 class. Is this Michael Fletcher? AJ Kirk. So I'm curious to see his development because I think by the end of the season, you know, I know I've heard Mangum as well. Um, so they, I mean, you know, they're playing the same position, but to me, AJ Kirk seems like one of those kind of guys that, you know, he, he could end up being, you know, a sneaky, sneaky kind of guy who maybe fits that kind of Darius Snow type mold. He's got th- size. He can play safety. You can move him up the linebacker. He can hit. Seems like good recipes to get on the get on the field, right? Yeah. You know who else you can also you know who else we didn't mention was Derek Harmon. Yeah, that was a guy that was the guy that jumped to my mind was Derek Harmon. Yeah, I mean they preserve, they managed to preserve his red shirt. Okay, upper deck jerk guy ask: Does Tucker move on before Izzo retires? I've said this for every time we we start to think, you know, when's Tom Izzo going to retire? Is this the end of Tom Izzo? He has such a bounce back and energy that I, you know you start at some point he's almost 68 and you start wondering is he going to retire ever you know i mean can you imagine michigan state basketball without tom izzo but can you imagine tom izzo without michigan state basketball that's the bigger question i'm not sure i don't i mean uh so i would say that tucker is turning enough heads nationally that you know, at some point, NFL teams are going to come knocking. And, you know, that was part of the reason for the big contract. Um, you know, does he have the itch to scratch to go? Kind of, kind of where Izzo was back in, you know, after the when, when he had the dalliance with the Hawks uh, back in like 2001, I think it was. And then with the Cavs in 2010, you know, does he have that itch to scratch? Or does he kind of sit back and objectively look at, what his old boss Nick Saban did and, you know, going to back to the NFL ranks and seeing the grind and thinking, you know what, you're just another head coach in the NFL. You can become a legacy in college if you stay. So mm-hmm. I, I think, those, I, I think I would lean towards Izzo retiring first, but I'm not sold on either side of that question. I just think it's a, a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating thing to talk about, without question. Joe the Puffin asks, how close can Tucker get to the Blue Bloods or Dan Antonio's 13-15 to 15 streak at this rate? It all depends on the result in the field, right? I mean, D'Antonio had his formula. And it wasn't going to be flashy. It wasn't going to be, you know, Maserati's driving on midfield with gold chains around your neck. That's just not who Mark D'Antonio is, right? Um, you know, to compete now is different than it was obviously in oh so long ago in 2013, right? Um, you know, I mean, go. I mean, it's been you know, think about when he was building that in 2007, eight, nine, and when they finally got to the Big Ten title in 2010. I mean, it took a couple four star recruits, you know, to come along and really kind of develop and then that begat more four-star recruits that helped the program take that next level uh to where they were winning the rose bowl and getting to the college football playoff um but even still um they, they were competing and beating ohio state in that time but alabama put beatdowns on them so when we're talking about with blue bloods you you need to be talking about the teams that have been winning national titles outside of the big 10 um, because those guys, those teams have been there perennially um, and, and doing so, you know, he's accumulating the talent necessary to do that. I, I think that's unequivocally what we're seeing. And then, you know, there's still a, a climb for that, you know, where D'Antonio was going from those three stars to four stars. Tucker's next step will be to go from the four stars to get into five stars. Um, does that happen until Nick Saban retires? Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't happen at all. Um you know, maybe he's got to win with the four stars. Boo hoo, right? You know, that, that, that dream that Michigan State fans, you know, in the 2010s when they were having that success were wanting. They wanted to have 10, 11, 12 four star guys a year, maybe a five star here or there. And, and ultimately, I think that's, uh, that's what'll do it. Um, and that's just to compete. Um, then you got to show the ability to win. And right now, that's going to be, I think, 
keeping the Jay Johnson around, which isn't going to be easy. I think he's going to be, if he has another successful year this year, he'll be a commodity in the coaching ranks. Um, and Tucker being a defensive guy would need to replace him. Um, but if, if they can identify him and keep him around, like almost like D'Antonio did with Pat Narduzzi, you know, Jay Johnson, I think, is dynamic enough of a play caller um, and schemer that they can take that next step and win with offense. So, you know, I mean, can it happen overnight? I mean, I'd say no, but I also wouldn't have said that getting to 11 wins could happen overnight either. And I think there's something about Tucker that is a vibe um, that not just the players believe in him, um, and but they also take that, kind of swagger from him that you need to be elite um the time will tell if that that'll translate to you know 11 wins becoming 13 and 14 all right i got a question for you here ryan to answer this one comes from this one comes from i underscore hemza they ask uh what is the trajectory of the season if michigan state takes a loss to washington versus if they win i mean if they, if they lose to washington because i mean i obviously think you know, I mean, I haven't looked at, like, the odds, and I'll be honest, I don't even know if that's something that's out already. But, I mean, I would assume that, that Michigan State will enter that game as, as the favorite. Um, and so, to me, you know, I think the expectation is, is they should win that game. You know, and to, so, to me, you know, them being 3-0 and after three games, I mean, that, that, that's what's expected, right? Um, but, I mean, if they, if they lose that game – I mean, I think that's pretty worrisome because then you know you come home and you got the home op- the Big Ten op- Big Ten opener versus Minnesota. I mean, Maryland. You know, that's a game you probably should win. But then Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan. I mean, I think if you, if you lose that game, you're probably staring at you know over the next month. Uh, probably, I mean, no better than a two and three record in Big Ten play, if not two and four, depending on you know how high or not you're on on Minnesota. So. I mean, to me, you know, a win against a win against Washington should be kind of the expectation, but a loss to me probably means that some some things have been exposed that 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 once they get back in the Big Ten play, those teams are going to do whatever Washington did and then just try to hammer away from there. The final question here is a question to ask to me, actually, <laughs> uh, from Matt from Matt Buckaloo. Uh, he says, "Phil, heard you aren't with the LSJ any longer. What are you doing now? Glad you're back with the pod. Uh, yep." I am no longer with the Lansing State Journal. Uh, my last day was like uh, July 29th or 30th or something like that. But uh, I am still... Boo-ish. <laughs> Boo-ish. 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 Yeah, perfect. Uh, I am still with the Gannett Company. I uh, just kind of just slide it over to a different position uh, where I'll be working with uh, the Michigan Web Desk for, to assist with our uh, 14 daily newspapers here in Michigan in various capacities and... I will bore you to death if I try to explain my job responsibilities. Uh, but uh, the the one that will matter the most is that, at least for now, uh, unless the, the job becomes too time-consuming on the other end, I will still be doing the Spartan Speak podcast uh, with Graham and Chris and Ryan, whoever else joins us uh, every other week. So uh, look forward to that or be mad that I'm still part of the podcast, whatever <laughs> whatever your uh, <laughs> your flavor is. <laughs> I'll just simplify it. Phil's going to become a digital quarterback. He's he's going to be the play caller. So anything you see online, he's the one to blame. Yes, there you go. <laughs> or credit, or credit. You, you got to get you some credit. I mean, I, I'd say you credit the writers in that instance, but yes. you know, maybe, maybe digital coach would be a better thing. There you you go. Blame the coach and and credit the players. I'm just, just like your first flub is I, I I you you mentioned Hams's question, but you didn't get the real part of the question is how many Boris Johnson autographs did Graham Couch <laughs> sign in England? And I mean, that to me is going to be a, that, that to me should be the next first question on the yes. next podcast when he gets back. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> definitely, it, I, it, the, the ballpark over under is probably at least six yeah. and knowing Graham, I'm sure he probably used that in multiple ways to get restaurant reservations, right. discounts at hotels, and any number of, of perks that come along with being Boris Johnson. And chase through the streets of, of London by angry people, but he's used to that. Yeah. Group, so. <laughs> All right, I made a note that that's the first thing we're going to ask him uh, when, he, when he comes back, if he comes back next week or in two weeks, whenever, whenever, whenever we record next. Um, all right, any final thoughts before we sign off here this week, guys? Let's, uh, let's do this again soon.
Yeah, and I just appreciate you know you know, getting getting to come on here and talk. Yeah, I don't know if I gave I don't know if I gave you room to for a real proper introduction uh, at the be- at the beginning, but uh, yeah, you uh, you've been with us since uh, what? June? Well, it, was, it wasn't nearly as lengthy as, as the, the the part for for Chris. That's for sure. <laughs> you gave him a long runway there. Yeah, <laughs> my bad, my bad. Um, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I bet you, you'll you'll be hearing more of me in the future, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, he he joined uh, the LSJ in January, February. That. That's correct. Yeah, January twenty fourth was my first day. And, and you, uh, you came to us from uh, Manhattan, Kansas, where you were covering uh, Kansas State football. And if you can't tell by yes. his drawl and my Brian Kelly LSU <laughs> accent uh, uh, comment earlier, you you were from Georgia, from the from the South, from SEC country. Well, I mean, I graduated from University of Georgia, and, and my you know, my parents still live in Georgia. So the only thing that I only sporting event that I had ever covered with Michigan State football or men's basketball before I, I moved here was the, the Outback Bowl uh, in 2012 that the Michigan State won in, in triple overtime. Oh, over Georgia, yes. That's, uh... <laughs> Anthony R. White game, the blocked field yep. goal yep. at the end of uh, the third overtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was working at the student paper at the time, so that was the first season I covered uh, Georgia football. So I, I was going to say, that's one of the building block wins in Mark D'Antonio's tenure that set up the success that followed because I believe that was his first bowl win. It's all coming full circle here is what is what it sounds like. Yeah, and I'm just saying, so notice though I only said Michigan State men's basketball or football because there was one year uh, when Athens hosted the NCAA championships for women's golf that uh, Stacey Zablock next soul brought, brought her team down there. And I forgot, I'll talk about how they finished, but but I know I interviewed her for a story I had to do for uh, for one of my, my college classes. She was very, oh, very nice. See, you were I, I'm guessing your college paper probably didn't send you up to Grand Rapids when Georgia came to play the exhibition game. Uh, no, the hurricane victims. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> unfortunately not. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Ryan A. Black, at Phil underscore friend, and the LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.